Welcome to the Business Big Bang Theory, presented by the Business Centre. My name is Steve Waite, a Business Connect advisor and the CEO of the Business Centre. Business Connect is a dedicated program funded by the New South Wales Government and delivered through a network of independent service providers to help you start or grow your small business. Future small business demands in a post-JobKeeper and new credit-based environment are going to impact on cash flow, debt and small business employer rights and business planning. The panel discussion today features experts from accounting, workplace law and turnaround practice. Each panel member will contribute insights and tips on what's best to do and how to go about implementing actions to be best prepared and be ready for what small businesses will face in 2021 as we head toward a conclusion to the JobKeeper scheme and some of the other relief measures that were put in place to support small businesses through the impacts of COVID-19. Now we're all going to be referring to our notes. We've had a number of discussions beforehand, but today I'd like to introduce our topic, which is how does my small business get cash flow ready and staff ready for 2021? We've got three guests. I'd like to introduce our first expert guest, who is Michelle Dawson, a partner at Moran Agnew and a highly skilled practitioner with more than 20 years legal experience. Michelle advises and represents clients across all legal aspects of employment and industrial relations, workplace and anti-discrimination law. She works with clients across a range of different sectors in water, conservation, research, not-for-profit, manufacturing, tourism and hospitality, transport, energy. Michelle's particular areas of expertise include employment and post-employment disputes and litigation, including dismissal, general protections, adverse actions, restraints and confidential information, privileged workplace investigations, equal opportunity and anti-discrimination, bullying and sexual harassment, restructuring and redundancy, employment and enterprise agreements, contractor arrangements and agreements. Outside of her extensive legal knowledge and experience, Michelle's clients value most her no-nonsense, straight-talking, easy-to-understand, practical and outcome-focused advice and representation. Michelle is an accredited specialist in workplace relations and has been a finalist in the Partner of the Year category of the Lawyers Weekly Annual Women in Law Awards. She is also an act on the Law Institute of Victoria's Accreditation Specialisation Scheme, Workplace Relations Advisory Committee. Michelle, welcome, and we're very happy to have you here again today. Thank you. Our next guest is John Garris, Managing Director, Taxation and Accounting of the Garris Group. The Garris Group is a professional family-owned and operated financial services firm that aims to build a strong and continuous relationship with their clients built on their valuable personal technical and knowledgeable expertise. John leads the Garris Group cutting-edge use of technology adoption and their zero accounting experts. And our third guest is Mitch Griffiths, co-founder and director of uh, Rapsy Griffiths Turnaround. Uh, Mitch has a set of skills and expertise around turnaround and insolvency. Uh, Mitch, prior to establishing Rapsy Griffiths, worked with a national insolvency firm both in Newcastle and Sydney. He gained valuable uh, industry experience working across a large range of industries, including building and construction, manufacturing, mining, hospitality, tourism, retail, and individuals in financial distress. His focus is to provide clear and concise commercial advice to solve difficult situations. So, we're looking forward to 2021 and what we need to think about to be prepared to be in the best possible position we can. And one thing that has been a constant has been uncertainty we have had to get used to as a result of COVID-19. But our expert panellists today have been putting their minds to how they can see the future for small businesses and the demands in a post JobKeeper and, as I said earlier, a new credit-based environment. 
and they're going to give us some insights into how we can best manage cash flow, debt, and make sure we get it right as small business owners when it comes to employer rights and business survival. Do you already have a small business? We have developed a range of toolboxes using proven methodologies that can help you strategize, scale, or accelerate your business in whatever industry you're in. Find them now in the shop at businesscenter.com.au. Our questions, I guess, have been framed in five areas. What do we need to do first? What are the laws? What are the regulations? How do we do the right thing when it comes to staff and finance and cash flow and the tax office? What do we do if things get difficult? And some thoughts from you people on that. And then at the end, you know, what are the key advice? What sort of things could we really leave with that people should take forward as we move from December into January and into a new calendar year? So first of all, I'm going to ask John to, to step off. But the first question is, what should small business operators consider when planning or thinking about their financial risk and employee risks as we head towards 2021 and that, you know, that oncoming June quarter next year when the potential impact of ATA COVID schemes from the government and, and various machinations arise from that time. So John, what are your thoughts uh, about that, that, that first point? Yeah, well, I suppose from our experience, what we're largely finding is that our, our clients are sort of fitting into probably one of three different baskets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got those that are still um, pretty cash flow poor and in some financial distress yeah. and are largely, I suppose, still reliant on things like JobKeeper and other, other forms of stimulus at the moment. Mm -hmm. You've got those that perhaps did suffer a little bit of a downturn, certainly in that, that sort of March to May kind of period, yeah. but are largely starting to, to find that, that things are recovering mm -hmm. for them quite nicely. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the, the third category, which is those that are potentially even doing better than what they were yep. sort of pre-COVID. Yep. So I think what, what all three, I suppose, have in common is the need to apply strategy, mm -hmm. but just in different ways. Yep. And I suppose that's what we've been, um, I suppose, trying to emphasize with our clients. And, yep. and I think for some that are hopefully coming up to a bit of a period of, of rest and some yep. recovery after a, a pretty tumultuous 2020, yep. Um, yep. they'll have that opportunity to, to do that internally, but also um, I would encourage them to do it with their advisors as well. Mm. Yeah. So given, Eligibility for JobKeeper was mm. an indication of GST and, and turnover yeah. cash flow on that basis and measured on that basis. Yeah. How, how have you helped people with yeah. regard to planning there? Well, yeah, you're quite right that um, it's sort of changed a little bit to actuals rather than projected yes. sort of turnover. So that's been uh, the first point, I suppose, to get across. And, mm -hmm. and really, it's about a, a huge volume of communication, I suppose, initiatives from our point of view to get in touch with the clients to make sure they understand how promptly they need to get their information up to date and to us so that we can then, I suppose, help them mm -hmm. to work out whether or not they're going to qualify or not because some have been quite close. Yep. And the, I suppose the changes in how they've calculated mm -hmm. the the second iteration of JobKeeper mm. has, um, has only just sort of sped up that, that need to have, mm. you know, up-to-date, accurate data so that we're able to do what we need to do to, to advise them, I suppose. Yeah. Have you got any other thoughts in that area before I move to Michelle and Mitch? But are there anything, anything else in this first question, this launch-off question about, you know, things to do first? Well, I think it's just get advice. So that's, that's going to be the underwriting sort of theme, I think, yeah. for, for all of us is yeah. about, it, you know, it has been easy for people to make sometimes emotional decisions, maybe, yes. maybe even slightly irrational decisions and I think just sort of thinking with a clear head and getting the help because often I think as as a leader one of the hardest things to master is being able to ask for help yes. um, you know there's a bit of stigma sort of around that yep. so I think understanding that they don't need to have all the answers mm -hmm. that that's what not only myself but the other panelists are, are here to do to, to sort of help their 
clients through whatever they might be going through and just get that advice and, and work through the strategy that best fits them. Michelle, I would like to turn to you to talk to something that we've spoken about before when COVID commenced and that we had uh, people very nervous about provisions of standing down and uh, laying people off and this comes back and revisits us again. So what are the first things people need to go back to when it comes to staff and employees? The, um, the really um, starting point at, at, at this point is looking at that workforce planning question. What do we need? Mm -hmm. What do we really need? Um, as opposed to, you know, what are we operating on currently? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, the wages bill is going to look very different when it's no longer being subsidised um, in the ways that John's just been speaking about and working out exactly where the business might be able to, you know, create some savings and mm -hmm. that might not necessarily be about cutting heads mm. it, it in fact should be about cutting overheads and so yeah. you know sometimes I think the starting point that small business employers in particular come from is okay well we've got 10 employees we need to peel that back we can only have eight in reality, what seems to be happening among many of my clients and what may in fact be mm -hmm. the better approach is actually looking at how many man hours um, yes. or woman hours, as yes. the case may be, you actually require and then working out how you're going to divide that up. Yeah. Because it may not be a case of needing to shed two staff members in that yeah. example. It may actually be a case of sitting down talking to your people, if you know that you want to reduce your wages bill, there may be many among those 10 um, employees who might be quite happy to go back to four days a week or five hours a day or whatever the case may be. And often there's a real reluctance, probably because of the legal risks that, that sit among those types of conversations sometimes in employers to have those conversations. But I always say to my clients that, you know, it's a really critical starting point because yes. You know, there is no risk in coming to an arrangement with an employee that works for you and yep. works for them, provided it meets all of the legislative thresholds mm. um, in terms of rates of pay and those sorts of things. If you want to reduce an employee from full-time hours and that employee is quite happy to be so reduced, yes. there's not usually an issue with that. But like you say, you need, you need to know your balance sheet, you need to know your budget before you get that sort of advice and enter into those potentially risky negotiations if they're not informed. Yep. Some of the things that, that we spoke about in regard to, you know, first things to tick off the list from your perspective were things like, you know, commercial letting moratoriums, equipment finance, these types of things to, to consider. Yeah, I think the big thing is understanding what the business looks like when the laws around leasing come off your JobKeeper comes off, your moratorium on paying your bank back comes off. So from my point of view, cash flow planning, cash flow forecasting is number one. Mm -hmm. So understand what it looks like mm -hmm. when all the free money stops. Yeah. Run a few different scenarios. What if, look, there's less money floating around in the economy mm -hmm. because of the stimulus has come off. What does it look like if sales are down 20%? Yes. And run a few different scenarios and really understand and have that tough conversation to say, well, look, maybe it isn't looking very great. I might go seek some advice. Mm -hmm. So first one, cash is king. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, is communicate, communicate with all your stakeholders. If you're in strife, have a chat to your bank, mm -hmm. let them know what you're doing. Yeah. If you're looking to undertake a turnaround and implement a turnaround plan, have a chat, let the employees know 
build a leadership group mm -hmm. and really involve your stakeholders in that turnaround. Yeah. Um, the worst thing you can do is sit back and keep silent. So yeah. forecast and communicate. Okay. If you're enjoying our podcast today, make sure you rate and review Business Big Bang Theory through iTunes and follow and share us on Facebook, Instagram or LinkedIn at The Business Centre. Well, one of the things we spoke about earlier this week when we dug into this one a little, which I think I'd just like to, to come back to you, Michelle, and you touched on it earlier, was when we talk about workforce, and John, you might have something as well here, we started to look at the idea of this returning to normal whatever normal might be um, post-COVID uh, and the bubble is perhaps staff are more interested in working a four-day week. And, and, and do you want to tell us about your, your thoughts there, that idea that you had? And, yeah. and John, maybe we could look at you know, how that could be costed and, and operated. Yeah, sure. So, look, ultimately, I think people have re-established their priorities as a product of having been, you know, condemned to their homes for a period of time this year. And ultimately, people are looking at the way that they're working and, you know, whether that is working hours at different ends of the day or whether that is working less hours or whether that is working exclusively from home on an ongoing basis going forward or perhaps incorporating two or three days a week from home. Mm -hmm. Things are, are ultimately going to be looking different in, in that regard. And, mm -hmm. you know, in some instances, businesses are going to be in a position to accommodate that, particularly where if you're talking work from home scenarios, you're looking at white collar industries and those sorts of things. Often that's quite an easy scenario to accommodate, but um, other businesses, not so easy. But you always have those issues thrown in there around what if you need those people to come back yes. and what if some people want to come back and some people don't and yes. you know can you have a broad brush approach to that scenario can you have a blanket um, arrangement whereby you say to your mm. staff this is the way it's going to be and mm. that is how it is and you know in a perfect world perhaps you could but we have these things called um, equal opportunity and anti-discrimination legislation. And ultimately, if people have a prescribed reason mm -hmm. for wanting to continue to work from home, whether that be changed childcare yep. arrangements uh, for whatever purpose, a lot of children are being sent home from childcare more regularly than they might have previously mm. been mm. because of the high alert we're all on. And, you know, it, it's very difficult for an employer to properly refuse requests to work from home from mm -hmm. employees who want that to facilitate what are ultimately their family responsibilities. So yeah. the balance and the, the, the criteria ultimately becomes, well, you know, what is reasonable and how can an employer reasonably accommodate that employee to strike yeah. a balance in terms of what works for all? So John, we were talking about looking at yeah. the FTE and what you might do there with your, with your staff. Yeah, it was, it's interesting. I agree with all those, those points that Michelle raised just then. And, and even I think after we had that conversation, mm. we're going through that at mm. the moment with work. Mm. I, I had to look in the back pocket for the bug actually on the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they might have been tapping in on that. But it's true. And, and a lot of the, the conversations that we've been having recently are actually being more centred around they need to try and grow their workforce and they're, they're trying to find new employees and having some, some challenges in that regard as well. Mm. But, but certainly, yeah, that's something that we've been doing is trying to cost all those sort of mm. elements in and, mm. and just factoring in some changes to payroll tax legislation and, and other sort yes. of on costs associated with employment. That's, that's been a critical uh, planning yep. thing as well. Yep. Uh, Mitch, in this area um, we're about to go to next and Michelle, I'm going to ask you guys initially, but this is, is the question about you know, law, regulation, 
due process that we need to follow. And Mitch, I might, I might ask you first to look at ATO and you know, we're noticing in our conversation we had that th there is now uh, a time where penalty notices and, and you know, uh, you know, a collection of, of, of debt or repayments and interest yeah. is top. So what, what do people I need to be aware of there? What, what we're seeing at the moment, and John, you, you would have seen the same, is that it appears the ATO are starting to look to collect more debts. They've obviously had the slowdown mm -hmm. during the COVID period. We're seeing more super audits, general audits, and also some more director penalty notices. Um, a director penalty notice is that if you're a director of the company yep. and you don't lodge your FAS on time yep. or your super statements, you can be held personally liable for those outstanding amounts. So yep. we're seeing the ATO ramp up from another legal point of view. The safe harbour defence during COVID, that finishes on the 31st of December. That mm -hmm. defence protected people from trading whilst insolvent during the COVID period. Mm -hmm. So going into January, February, March, people need to be aware that if you're insolvent, you can't pay your debt as and when they fall due, yeah. you're trading whilst insolvent and mm -hmm. technically you should stop or seek advice immediately. Mm. And you talked to their, uh, 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 an insolvency practice restructuring tool and restructuring plan yeah, for debt. Yeah, there's been a number of changes introduced. They're not finalised yet, yep. but yep. Uh, as of 1 January, there'll be a new tool to restructure a small business. Mm -hmm. For businesses with debts under a million dollars, you'll be able to do a small business restructure. What that means is, mm. unlike a voluntary administration or a liquidation, whereas a liquidator would come in and take control of the business. Mm -hmm. the, the current director would put a deal up to their creditors, mm -hmm. put a restructuring plan and tell their creditors how they're gonna work through that. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a change. It lets the directors be in charge of their own destiny and it gives that little bit more flexibility when you yeah. come into financial difficulty yeah. and you don't wanna go and appoint an administrator or a liquidator. Yeah. Create your own big bang and see your business idea come to life. Our online course, Start Your Own Business, helps you learn the basics in marketing, compliance, modelling and small business finances. As a bonus for our podcast listeners, you can use the code BIGBANG to access the Start Your Own Business course online for free at businesscentre.com.au. Michelle, can we have a little bit of an unpack of redundancy and recruitment and this dynamic that we're now going to be in in law, regulation, some of the black and white immovable things that we need to you know, approach and countenance? Yeah, sure. So I think the key, if you are in a business situation where you do need to implement redundancies, the key is understanding exactly what your obligations are and where they stem from. So, you know, the, the basics in that sense um, for business owners is understanding which award applies to your workplace and to the employees within it and understanding what that award obliges you as the employer mm -hmm. to do in the context of redundancy. And generally speaking, you know, there will be a consultation obligation mm -hmm. um, in relation to all awards um, and all employees covered by awards. If the employee isn't covered by an award because they're a manager or something like that, then the consultation obligation doesn't always exist in the same way. But, you know, if you don't consult and you don't consult in a manner consistent with the term of the award, for instance, such as one of the errors that I see on a regular basis is that the employer will consult and fulfil the verbal obligations consistent with mm -hmm. the consultation obligation but as we've discussed before, yeah. Steve, yeah. miss that written consultation obligation. 
Um, yeah. Often um, under the model term, it, it's a two-pronged approach. Yeah. So making sure that you understand exactly what you need to do. But before you go into the context, and this probably loops back to, to, to John in, in some respects, you know, understand what it's going to cost you mm. from a, an employee entitlements liability yes. standpoint before yes. you make your way down that so path. So John, we could, most small businesses could quickly work that out, couldn't they, in terms of that, that, that cost burden or? Well, know, you'd hope so, yeah. that they'd be yeah. able to look at yeah. that. Sometimes that can be a little sort of confusing to unpack. But, yeah. but worthwhile I, finding but, oh, out. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I agree, because I think that, you know, it's easy, the one constant in life or, or is, is tax. Mm. Um, so sometimes that gets the focus, but mm. then of course, uh, sometimes the more immediate mm. issues to deal with are the mm. employee entitlements, things mm. like superannuation that sort of hinges off the back of that a little bit and, and just, yeah, understand what what those costs are and how they're best managed, yeah. that's critical. Yeah. Okay, now Michelle, you also mentioned in this area that there's a Small Business Fair Dismissal Code and, and process to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So in a small business context, mm -hmm. there are exemptions available to small business employers in the unfair dismissals space, mm -hmm. but those exemptions will generally only be enlivened when the threshold of completing the Small Business Fair Dismissal Code and checklist is ticked off. So where so can we get that? You can download that from the Fair Work Commission's yep. website and perhaps the Fair Work Ombudsman's website mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. uh, quite easy to put your hands on, a very simplified process and quite self-explanatory mm. um, and I would highly recommend it for small businesses for any type of termination. One of the other areas we spoke about when we discussed this question was the interesting dynamic that COVID has produced in our workplaces and in our economy and the way that people are conducting work and delivering services and products and I think it's worthwhile talking about in regard to the rule of law and regulation and we had a conversation about work-life balance and client confidentiality working from a place that was not your place of work and considerations around workplace health and safety when you have staff working on a two three or a one four or a three two day pattern of work and all of the dynamics of that so I might start I go back to you Michelle and then I know that each of you had some thoughts about that just from your own businesses but if I could start with you, uh, some insights around that. Yeah, so working from home throws up a, a number of different things, quite aside from the flexibility aspects that go along with it. And um, I mean, information technology is a big part of that, but the, the offshoot of that is confidentiality and confidential information. So all businesses have confidential information. It doesn't matter what type of business you are. And other businesses, um, such as the business that I work in, have obligations around things like client confidentiality. So, yeah. you know, having clear parameters established as to where people can work and what they can do entailing that work in that space. Where you have someone working from a home office, mm -hmm. that is quite a different scenario, perhaps, to having someone working off-site for the yeah. day. Because yes. that off-site could comprise seven or eight different locations, none of which may ultimately be private or confidential yes. locations. Yes, so as an employer, hmm. do I need to know where my staff are working from? Hypothetically? Hypothetically speaking, you should have some sort of handle on it because ultimately as the employer, you have the non-delegable duty as to work health and safety. Mm -hmm. So if you do not have any understanding of what that person's workplace looks like, you will not have any control over it and you may well be swinging in the breeze from the point of view mm -hmm. of a workplace health and safety risk position. So we should have oversight of the ergonomics of their workplace, of the setup that they have? 
Yeah, look, it, depending on the type of, of business, if you've got someone working from home who would, in a traditional sense, sit there for seven and a half hours a day at a computer, um, and that's going to be a long-term thing, having an understanding of the ergonomics, um, the lighting and those sorts of things is a good idea. Having parameters in place around, you know, what will be considered work and what won't be. Uh, we've all heard the horror stories about the people hanging their washing on the line in their tea break and falling down the back steps and yeah. creating workers' compensation claims liability. Oh, we're on a call and to a client. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah. there are all sorts of things to be considered. And one of the ways of, of getting a handle on that is for employers to have um, a requirement for employees who are working from home to complete a working from home checklist with those safety yep. considerations in mind mm -hmm. and having policies put in place around you know what's acceptable and what's not. Mitch, I know that in your own workplace, you guys have started to consider this. Have you got any thoughts there? Y yeah, from, from a point of view from our firm, what we're finding is that some people are wanting to come back to the office. I think at the start, everyone enjoyed that time at home. But mm -hmm. what I think that from our practice is we don't get that collaboration when everyone's at home or behind a screen. So mm -hmm. we're now moving to a bit of a hybrid, a few days in the office, a few days at home. I think it's really important important for the young people that are coming through and depending on what business you're in, but learning and learning how a more senior employee conducts themselves, um, especially in the white collar space, mm -hmm. just listening to a phone call, you know, seeing how they go about working a problem out. I think that's really important mm. um, and important to come up with fresh ideas. Yeah. John? Yeah, I probably agree with Mitch on that as well. Mm. It's sort mm. of, it's a bit of a, a challenge for those that are, that, are, that are new to the business if they're mm. coming in, how do they how do they sort of fit in with the culture and mm. how, do, how do you collaborate with your peers and things mm. like that. That's sort of the, some of the conversations that we've been having and not just in uh, us internally but also mm. obviously with our business clients as well. Mm. I think what it's, it's really highlighting is that those that are more forward thinking, mm -hmm. more sort of modern in some respects, yeah. um, are finding that a little bit easier to sort of work through than some that are more yeah. the traditional old fashioned yes. model. Yes. And, and also I suppose people are still coming to terms with the fact that this might not be a short-term arrangement that mm. we can actually, you know, mm. look at these arrangements more long-term, and, mm. and and of course it's a bit of a, mm. a minefield to, to deal with a lot of the employment matters, and I'll yeah. happily leave Michelle to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can recommend to viewers a report that I shared with you guys that the New South Wales government has done on mm. uh, people working from home, and uh, you know these new working from home arrangements to. I, I can I can uh, say that it's a, it's it's quite informative, a nice piece of research, and a good review of literature as well for some you know, underlying theory around it. Innovation is more than a buzzword. Innovation is not just for startups. If you are looking for ways at adding value to your customer, introducing new products and services, or want to explore ways of working smarter, check out the Start House programs at businesscenter.com.au. The next question is, well, okay, how do I go about doing the right thing around legalities, around stand downs, around debt? Michelle, we're probably going to lean in to you again on this one and maybe we can take a little bit of a, a deeper dive into this. But I might just set the scene by just quoting from our Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, who, who said that public servants uh, will be returning safely to the office uh, and, and that was an important step in the state's recovery but warned we couldn't afford to become complacent. She said, the health and safety of people of New South Wales has been our number one priority. However, we are also focused on firing up the economy. We are now encouraging public servants to physically return to their work offices in a COVID safe way. 
which will help stimulate city-based businesses and create more jobs across the state. The government will continue to review the health advice and aim to ensure we keep people safe and at the same time allow them to return to their normal lives as much as possible. Fair to say that, but then we saw what happened in South Australia where things blew up again. So from a workplace health and safety, from an employment law perspective, what do we do here? Yeah, yeah. So obviously having and enacting COVID safe plans is, is a really important thing and understanding, you know, like I alluded to earlier, identifying risk is all about understanding what your obligations are. Mm. And at the end of the day, um, it, it's not just a, a case um, in many instances of thinking, okay, well, we need to get everybody back to work because that's best for productivity and that's ultimately best to, for the bottom line. Mm. It, it's also about making sure, of course, that you're complying with things and able to comply with things in terms of social distancing. Mm. Um, you know, what sort of square meterage do you have in your workplace and how many people are you allowed to have in there at one time and how are you going to manage that and, and keep track of those things and what is your response going to be? in the instance where you know this this does arise so again it, it goes back to understanding what your obligations are and and not overlooking what any of them may be so you know don't just focus on what's best for productivity focus on understanding how you're going to preserve that productivity with some longevity so again hypothetically at law who if my workplace or my business is demonstrating a risk or there's been an incident or, or something happens that requires an external agency that imposes some breach. It could be a local council officer, it could be a police officer, it, it could be someone from the Department of Health. Do, okay. From a legal perspective, how do I have to respond legally to be having done the right thing? Ultimately, it, these sorts of things are generally about being alert and aware and on top of them and documenting and ensuring that everybody knows what their obligations are so that in the very least you can demonstrate that, you know, you tried to do the right thing. You know, there is always room and margin for error in those types of scenarios, but having somebody appointed to be specifically responsible um, within the business for ensuring that all of the relevant uh, things are complied with is, yeah. is a really important important thing. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, have you two got anything else to add in, in, in that regard into doing the right thing? Yeah, I, I think um, directors of small business need to understand that they can be made liable for mm. certain actions. Um, mm. If you're struggling, you need to take advice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you may need to look at winding that business down slowly before you incur further debt. Yep. looking to do a liquidation because you, you're insolvent and you can't pay your debts, yep. looking to do a voluntary administration which allows you 30 mm. days breathing space mm. um, to work out if you're going to put a deal to your creditors or ultimately you're going to wind the business down. Mm. And then looking at um, a small business restructuring plan. So there's, from an insolvency and a turnaround point of view, mm. there's tools out there mm. that are legal, different steps you can take to comply with the various laws. So John, again, hypothetically, not picking any particular client or industry, but if you had a client who came to you that you could see that there, there was you know, some uh, obligations uh, that you could see were, were, were coming quite quickly mm. towards them, how would you advise them and what typically or what might happen if you were handing over or working yeah. with someone around a well, turnaround? Well, I suppose just to, to just follow on a little bit there from, from Mitch, one of the things that we do try and emphasise at quite an early stage are the director obligations. I think there's been definitely an erosion, I suppose, of the corporate veil over the last sort of few years, mm -hmm. with the ATO very interested in, in trying to target 
uh, directors for corporate debt. So, yeah. so that is really important that, that they're not surprised by that element, I guess. Mm -hmm. ATO debt arrangements generally, and to the ATO's credit over the past, well, really since March, since COVID, they've been quite understanding and that's, mm -hmm. that's been helpful. Mm -hmm. In many cases, they've been able to put in place arrangements that are more or less interest-free and over an extended period of time, which has been great. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's, if they're not already doing that, that'd be the first thing that we'd sort of look at, like, is that an option? Mm -hmm. If we do feel that it's getting to the point where they're effectively on the borderline of trading insolvent, mm -hmm. well, that's when we would sort of recommend Mitch and, and, and others. And um, you may or may not accompany them in, in well, that process? It, it exactly it right. It just depends on the, on the client. Mitch yeah. would certainly agree with this. Some uh, accountants are happy enough just to sort of pass that, that over and, and let the, the insolvency experts deal with that. Others, yeah. you know, would, would accompany the client. And, and I think particularly in, in Mitch's case, I mean, he's sort of focusing on, on turnaround. It's not about mm. them, uh, there's that stigma around insolvency and, oh, that's the end. It's not, that's not the case at all. Mm. It's just about finding the right solutions for the right mm. business owners to get them back to where they need to be ultimately. Yeah. Just, just digging down a little bit on mm. that, more specifically around JobKeeper, there, there were some very clear eligibility rules around partnerships and who can be eligible for JobKeeper and, yep. and directors and, and, and directors of trust and so on. So. You you help guide people through all of that so that because yeah. it will be audited, won't it? Yes, eventually. Yeah. I think it's been very much a case of look, pay now, ask questions later from the ATO. They were just trying to get the money out yeah. to the clients when they needed it. And again, to their credit, they've been largely very good at, with all of that. But they they will be targeting those sort of areas, and they've already clawed back situations where people have just it quite inadvertently made a mistake. Yeah, I was going yeah. to say, so if people yeah. are genuinely inadvertently not under, because it was quite a moving fluid Very, piece yeah. to begin with, they inadvertently make a mistake, mm. it can be resolved historically, it can be addressed. And in many cases, they're not asking those businesses to repay um, yeah. JobKeeper payments. If there was a genuine yeah. error in how they've calculated it, of yeah. course, there's going to be exceptions to that. Okay, yeah. Michelle, I've got one more question in this area before we move on to our fourth question, which is, stand down clauses in pandemics and contracts. So if we have a flare up again to what we were about in March 20 this year, and suddenly we're in that situation again, what can I do and not do as an employer? What we saw um, when the pandemic uh, initially came about was a legislative response, which included the ability for employers with access to JobKeeper, mm -hmm. um, gave them the ability to issue certain stand down orders and those types of things, which were very different to what the Fair Work Act um, at that time and currently contains um, mm -hmm. in relation to stand down. So I think one of the things that was evident quite early in the piece around stand down in particular was that perhaps the existing uh, term uh, mm. provision within the Fair Work Act section 524 was in fact not really fit for purpose in this scenario. I don't yeah. think it was ever likely designed for the purpose that it was ultimately being utilised for at least in the initial stages of the pandemic. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if what we see is some sort of legislative yeah. um, response to that a, as an issue going forward. I don't know that that will be an immediate um, yeah. thing perhaps for a whole raft of reasons but certainly um, I think that you know we're likely to see some of that and I think it'll be a watch this space because once JobKeeper yeah. rolls out and, and yeah. finishes in March 2021 yeah. there will no longer be a beneficiary employer of the JobKeeper provisions, which right. means that the ability to utilise those temporary provisions incorporated into the Fair Work okay. Act will disappear. We, now, we spoke about this when we were having this conversation before. So I, I recontract someone or I employ someone. Mm. I can't 
put a pandemic clause in the contract? It depends perhaps what the pandemic clause looks like, but it certainly, Good answer. It, it certainly won't be able to be a clause which undermines or in any way tries to usurp what the existing provision of the legislation yep. contains yep. because you can't contract out of a legislative obligation. So, okay. so um, yeah, no. it, it's, it's a maybe. Yep. <laughs> okay. Are you looking to grow your business? We have a fantastic team of experience-led business advisors and online toolboxes that can guide you to scaling your business. You can find all the information at businesscentre.com.au. Now, our fourth question, and, and I'll, I'm going to go to you, Mitch, first, because um, I'd, I'd like you to sort of unpack this a little bit for us, but it's about, you know, what legal rights do employers and small business owners have when it comes to debt and critical cash flow, and as we've spoken to there, about letting staff go? And I know you've got some pretty clear views about, you know, overcoming the stigma. I think the big thing that we see is that there's a real stigma, a negative stigma around going to liquidation going bankrupt, doing a voluntary administration. Mm. In certain situations, that's the course of action that needs to be taken. Mm -hmm. And I think when we do see the stimulus come off in March, mm. I think it might become a little bit more normalised mm. to say, yes, we had to do that. We've been severely affected by COVID. Yep. Um, so it's also not putting your head in the sand and understanding that put your hand up, go and seek professional advice. Mm -hmm. um, the worst thing business owners can do is wait till it's too late. Mm. So believe it or not, we get calls saying, I can't pay wages in three days, can you help me? Mm. If someone's coming to a practitioner like myself at that stage, it's very, very difficult to mm -hmm. do something other than shut it down. Yeah. But if they come to us when the, the ship's starting to, starting to sink, mm. we, can, we can turn things around and um, put strategies in place that mm. shore up the business and take it forward mm. rather than trying to mm. put out a huge bushfire at the end. Yeah, and as you said when we spoke about this one before, is, is engage with the ATO about debt before you get to this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always been the case, I think, but it's even, even more so now that it's just mm. about communicating with them. There's mm. probably never been a better time, to be honest, to communicate with the ATO and look at, op at your options. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's what I would recommend, absolutely. Okay, and, and Michelle, likewise, when we had this conversation, you said probably better to call your lawyer the day before you sack someone rather than the day after. Absolutely. Okay, and get advice. Yep. A 10 minute conversation with a lawyer can mm. literally save you tens of thousands of dollars yeah. in litigation. Yeah. All right, we're getting towards the end, and this is a question where we get to have a little bit of talk. You know, you know, in all of this time, if you could crystal ball or if you could provide some sage like advice or just the benefit of experiences, you know, what top things. Do people know, need to know to handle their operations as a small business owner and survive and thrive and, and trade? And uh, So I might yeah. come back to you, John. What do you think, you know, what can people do? What would you advise? What would you say? Well, I, I think, honestly, uh, the next few months, there's plenty that they could do. And if you look at the current uh, economic and, and health trends, really, mm -hmm. they're, they're incredibly positive, which is, which is great. And trends are far more valuable than absolutes, yeah. I would say, in terms of how you sort of measuring things. When you look at what's, I suppose, underpinning how the economy is moving at the moment, we've got historically low interest rates, of course, mm -hmm. historic government stimulus from all pillars of yep. government, yep. which has been fantastic. And of course, um, personal tax cuts and corporate tax cuts as part of the budget as well. Yep. So I suppose those three elements are really helping 
with the fact that there's some wage stagnation, wage growth stagnation, and mm. and a high-ish, I suppose, unemployment rate. Mm. So, you know, I think it's a great opportunity mm. for them to look at those positives and be planning with mm. their advisors as to what they can do, not just for the remainder of 2021, but mm. for, for the next sort of few years. And, I mean, and you, when we spoke about this, you said that, you know, there's some good thinkers out there around this, you know, about, about being able to turn your business around. And what did you call it? Existential Flex? Existential Simon Flex. Sinek. Simon Sinek. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, crucial reading for, yeah. for the holidays. Yeah. Um, he's written a few excellent books and um, I could thoughtly recommend it. The Infinite Game. Is Thank the, you. The, All right. Yeah. Mitch, you, you, you spoke when we looked at this question in terms of your sort of, you know, key advice about, you know, the upside and the downside of this and, and, and getting the right help at the right time. Yeah, yeah, I think the first thing is that really understanding the numbers of your business, because if you don't, you can't act when you need to mm. and you can't grow if you, if you don't under, if you don't have a strong forecast mm -hmm. you don't know your cash position it makes it really really difficult mm -hmm. especially in times of crisis mm. um, so my biggest tip is understand the numbers mm -hmm. if you're struggling seek advice yeah now Michelle yes you yes some gold here I just don't know what to pick when we had the conversation <laughs> here you, you know you had come back leaner and meaner uh, you spoke about uh, bend before you break but but what are you what are your key you know, yeah. sort of in thoughts. addition to those pearls of wisdom, <laughs> um, if I do say so myself, <laughs> I, uh, I would add, um, you know, reiterate really what I've already said is mm. understand your obligations so that you can identify your risk. And, you know, I would reiterate what we've all said today, which mm. is get advice early. A stitch in time saves nine. Oh, another, another, just another <laughs> pearl of wisdom. Thank you. Doesn't, just doesn't <laughs> stop. Okay, it's time to wrap up. I'd like to thank all of our guests once again for their insights and for being so very kind with their time on, on thinking for you what you could do best in the future. If you'd like to contact John, uh, Mitch or Michelle, uh, please uh, get in touch with us. Email the Business Centre and we'll forward on your details. We'd like to again recommend the Business Connect program, which is a dedicated program funded by the New South Wales Government and delivered through a network of independent service providers to help you at this point in your business or if you want to start a business. If you want uh, business advisory sessions, they're subsidised by the Business Connect program, please call 1300 134 359 or email connect at treasury.nsw.gov.au. Please like us, the Business Centre, on all our social platforms to find out a little bit more about what we do and how we can help you around business disruption or startup. Thank you from me, Steve Waite, your host, and the best of luck with your business, no matter what stage or part of the journey you're on. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Business Big Bang Theory podcast. Do you know someone we should talk to? Do you have an idea for a topic we should cover? Or would you like to be featured on an upcoming show? Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with podcast as the subject line to info at businesscentre.com.au.